0: One of the most common benign urologic conditions faced by men is benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH. The Northwestern Medicine Department of Urology has a long-standing history of achieved breakthroughs in the understanding and treatment of common urological conditions such as BPH. Joining me today is Dr. Haley Silver and Dr. Matthias Hofer. They're both assistant professors of urology at Northwestern Memorial Hospital and Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Silver, I'd like to start with you. We know that age plays a role in BPH development. What other factors or variables contribute to it?
1: Yes, age is certainly a component of the symptoms related to BPH, simply because as men age, their prostate tends to grow. And so as time goes on, the symptoms related to an enlarged prostate get worse such that by the time somebody is in their 50s or 60s, up to 60, 70% of men are having those symptoms. But besides the size of the prostate, it's also the shape and its relation to the bladder that makes a real impact on whether or not somebody has symptoms of an enlarged prostate. And then there's always a factor of how well their bladder functions to begin with and how it's able to compensate for an enlarged prostate.
2: i just like to... Uh... Add to what Dr. Silver said that the small prostates can also cause big problems. So just like she said, it's not so much only the size, it's also the way that it's shaped and so on. So even younger people can experience significant problems.
0: Well then, Dr. Hofer, how is the severity of benign prostatic hyperplasia determined? How is it determined whether it's small or large? How do you determine the severity of what's going on?
2: The severity is usually determined by the symptoms of the patient. There is a standardized questionnaire called the uh, International Prostate Symptom Score, or IPSS, that uh, a collection of questions with which we can determine the severity of the patient's uh, symptoms and also track this over time. Another way of determining is, is whether the patient can empty the bladder well or not, the a significant risk factor for urinary tract infection and also for loss of bladder function is if a lot of urine is left over in the bladder after urinating. That is another means of severity. There's a couple of tests we can do, like urodynamics, which is a pressure flow uh, function test of the bladder that can give us objective data, but we usually don't have to go that far. The symptom score and what's left over in the bladder is in most cases sufficient to determine the severity and also the risk profile that a patient will face.
0: Dr. Silver, speak about the current standard of care. What's unique about what you're doing at Northwestern Medicine?
1: Well, what I think is unique is we are a diverse group of providers with different backgrounds and experience, which lends itself to a lot of collaboration and discussion of various issues that present themselves with patients. So I think that Number one, we are very fortunate to have such a intelligent and dynamic group here. Secondly, we are able to offer all of the tests that are necessary, as Dr. Hofer was mentioning, that we use to determine not just how well the patient empties their bladder, but how well their bladder functions and how we can size somebody's prostate with ultrasound and investigate the shape of their prostate using a procedure called a cystoscopy where we use a camera and actually look at the bladder and the prostate from the inside, which helps us determine how the prostate is in relation to the bladder and what the health of the bladder looks like before we offer a patient a various intervention, whether it's medication or a procedure or a more invasive surgery.
0: Dr. Hofer, as we begin to talk about treatment options available, where does watchful waiting become the recommended strategy for patients with BPH who only have mild symptoms?
2: If the patient is not bothered by the symptoms and he doesn't have a significant amount of urine left over in the bladder after voiding, then there is no indication to start treatment. In this case, the treatment is simply determined by the patient himself.
1: Really,
0: that's very interesting. So as you're watching them, you're just keeping an eye on the growth. So then where does the focus on prostate growth come into the treatment criteria?
2: There's a couple of indications when treatment should be initiated. Again, if the patient has a high symptom score and is bothered by the symptoms. If the patient is in retention, meaning as in a lot of urine left over in the bladder, because this is a risk factor for loss of bladder function and infection, as I mentioned before, there's a couple of other indications for for initiating treatment, such as formation of bladder stones or recurrent urinary tract infections or bleeding from the prostate that cannot be stopped. So, in these cases, we should initiate treatment either with medication and or surgically. But as long as the patient's emptying the bladder and it's not bothered, you know, every patient is different. Some patients don't mind getting up twice or three times a night because they fall asleep right away. Other patients already are bothered by getting up just once because they cannot fall asleep. So in this case, we, we determine with the patient in a joint decision-making and a shared decision-making whether we initiate a treatment or not.
0: Dr. Silver, as management of BPH has often been divided into medical and surgical options, do you feel personally that the lines between the two are now a little bit more blurred? If you would speak about some of the latest advances in BPH treatment, both surgical and non-surgical, and what you're doing there at Northwestern.
1: Absolutely. So, I think that this all comes down to, as Dr. Hofer was mentioning, what. The goals of the patient are and what the specific bother of the patient is. So, you know, there are some patients that come to us having had no treatment or there are a lot of patients who have already tried medications that their primary care doctor may have prescribed them and either they had bad side effects or they don't, like the medication, they already take a lot of medications and so for maybe some patients talking about medical therapy isn't what they are interested in. They want something that's a more permanent or an intervention that has more durability. There are other patients, especially younger patients, who may be not ready or or not in need of a surgical intervention and medication can be a good first step. So I think each patient is different and what their goals and their concerns about intervention or treatment are different. So we really try to take a look at the patient as a whole and have those discussions in detail with them. In terms of surgical interventions, BPH is an area of urology that is constantly having new innovation. And there's always new techniques and new procedures that are on the horizon. And what's great about Northwestern here is we offer everything from the most minimally invasive to what we would say the most maximally invasive surgery for enlarged prostates. So, there are two very minimally invasive procedures that we offer here, those being the Urolift procedure, which is placing almost like tacks into the prostate to open up the channel, the urinary channel, and something called Resume that Dr. Hofer can speak in more detail about that uses steam to essentially shrink the size of the prostate. And The nice thing about these two procedures is that they don't really come with some of the sexual side effects that patients are very weary of when it comes to BPH treatment, and that's really having dry ejaculations. Erectile dysfunction is not really a concern, although some are worried about that. It's really the ejaculatory dysfunction. And then, of course, we, in terms of the more invasive surgeries, which are still fairly minimally invasive, we offer everything from the green light laser ablation to a traditional terp or sort of scraping of the prostate. And then for those patients who have extremely large prostates, we are able to do robotic surgery in order to essentially core out the majority of the prostate from the inside you know, we are, like I said, able to sort of address people from each end of the spectrum with enlarged prostate.
2: Yeah, I'd like to add just one thing that traditionally we would always start with medical therapy and then graduate, so to speak, to the surgical therapy if this was insufficient. But, you know, professional guidelines, since a couple of years, it was... It's equally recommended with either medication or surgical uh, means. Like Dr. Silver mentioned, the minimally invasive procedures such as Resume or Urolift are ideal for the patients who otherwise would be initiated with drug therapy, for example, Flomax. And this is a true alternative, and as we understand more and more about the long-term side effects of taking these drugs, mainly cognitive, I think the minimally invasive procedures have more and more a place in the initial treatment of enlargement of the prostate.
0: Well, Dr. Hofer, as we're talking about minimally invasive, what about office procedures? Are these more and more becoming part of that standard of care? And she mentioned robotics and that sort of thing, but are office procedures very common now?
2: Yes, I would say I personally treat about 50% of procedural treatment or procedural approaches to patients in the office and 50% in the operating room. As Dr. Silver has mentioned, the Eurolift and the resume are two procedures we can perform in the office. Both procedures take about five, maybe 10 minutes, and we can do it on local anesthesia. And the outcomes are very good, very encouraging. They are not identical to what we can do in the operating room, but then the operating room is certainly also more invasive and uh, requires a hospital stay. So yes, I could see even in the future with the advent from potentially even more innovative technologies that the office procedure will become the standard of care.
0: Dr. Silver, as we discuss some of the most innovative technologies that are supporting your work, I'd like you to also mention what other providers might be involved in treating BPH. It's not only urologists these days, is it?
1: Well, yes, certainly most patients, certainly the older patients, have already begun therapy with their primary care doctor. And so we spend time actually going and speaking with primary care doctors to help them better assess and, and treat patients and know when to refer to a urologist, but the majority of primary care doctors will feel very comfortable initiating medical therapy for this issue. And so I do see most of my referrals from the primary care folks and geriatricians, I would say, are included in that as well. And then occasionally we do have nephrologists, the medical kidney doctors, who will refer patients to us uh, who they follow for kidney disease or patients who may need kidney transplants because that is a concern for those patients who may also have an enlarged prostate prior to getting a kidney transplant. So there are some other specialists that do, we do work with. And then, of course, the patients who get urinary tract infections, sometimes we work a lot with the infectious disease doctors for those patients as well.
0: Dr. Hofer, tell us what you and your colleagues at Northwestern Medicine are doing to advance the treatment of BPH. Is there any new research, clinical trials that you're working on that you'd like other providers to know about?
2: The uh, clinical trial that we are doing currently is with the uh, Department of Interventional Radiology with Dr. Riyad Salim and Samuli about prosthetic artery embolization, which is an alternative treatment, which is also offered at Northwestern University. Other than that, the technological advances, we can be, Dr. Silva and I, I think we are proud to, uh, to say that we offer every technology that is currently employed in BPH treatment at Northwestern and have ample experience with all of these technologies.
0: And Dr. Silver, to wrap up, what else would you like other providers to know and take forward to help their patients when you feel it's important for them to refer to the specialists at Northwestern Medicine?
1: I think that it's important for providers to know that it's never too early to send patients to have the conversation with us about their bladder and prostate symptoms. Now, more than ever, we are able to offer these new technologies and advances earlier on in the patient's journey with this issue. And I think knowing that we could have alternatives to medications upfront is a good discussion to be able to have with a patient as opposed to seeing them after years and years of struggling and not doing well on medication. So I frequently tell primary care doctors that it's never too early to send somebody to us. You don't have to start patients on medical treatment before you send them to have a consultation because like Dr. Hofer said, For some of these younger patients or patients who would probably be okay with meds but don't really like the side effects, we can offer them these minimally invasive procedures up front. And I think that it's just never too early. And I like to develop a nice long-term relationship with these patients because that's what we end up doing. We follow them for years. And being able to sort of start with them in earlier part of the journey helps us intervene, maybe in a more timely way, when they start really getting bothered by these symptoms.
0: Well, thank you so much, both of you, for coming on and sharing your expertise. It's really such an interesting topic and such an exciting time to be a physician in this area. So many technologies. Thank you again. And that concludes this episode of Better Edge, a Northwestern medicine podcast for physicians. To refer your patient or for more information on the latest advances in medicine, please visit our website at nm.org to get connected with one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Northwestern Medicine podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, please follow us on your social channels. I'm Melanie Cole.